Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, October 22nd, we're studying Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 1 to 21. Ezekiel continues to speak the Lord's word to the foreign nations, and now he turns to Tyre. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves as pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He is also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Glad to be back. You and I have the fun time of introducing Tyre this morning. Tyre gets three whole chapters here in this section of Ezekiel. So, Pastor Heidi, just in terms of, before we dig into Tyre particularly, remind us where we are in the prophet Ezekiel, what he's what he's been doing, and, and this particular section about these sometimes called oracles against the nations, what we're getting in this part of Ezekiel particularly. Right. I mean, Ezekiel, of course, is is sent as a prophet to Israel in and to speak the the word of the Lord, but part of that prophecy includes uh, certain proclamations against nations who have uh, hurt Israel in some way, whether it's been because of military power, whether it's because of betrayal, you know, in in some one form or another, these nations have uh, assaulted God's people. And so Ezekiel is bringing forth a proclamation against these nations that are going to go on for quite a while. In fact, most of the major prophets will do this as a way of showing God's love for his people. So this this is the, the parts of the Bible that maybe is can be difficult for us to understand because this proclamation of judgment upon the nations is actually good news for God's people. And I know we don't usually use the word judgment and good news in the same sentence, right? <laughs> Not typically, although it, it seems to me, Pastor Heidi, that you get texts like this very regularly when you're you're on Sharper Iron here. That, I think we, it's a conspiracy, yes. So maybe, maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not sure. One one thing, you know, just thinking about, and I we talked about this a little bit yesterday with Chapter 25, that these sections against the nations are sometimes one of the more challenging parts of Scripture. And I I asked Pastor Linnell, and I, I'm curious what what you think. Do you think? a text like this is more difficult for us, or maybe like a text like Leviticus, where we're dealing with ceremonial law and the, the great detail. Here we're going to be digging into a lot of history that sometimes seems obscure. I don't know. What, what's your thought? What do you think is more difficult for us as Christians to read and apply? I Honestly, I think this, this passage is the more difficult one, um, maybe because of, you know, historical issues, maybe because of the, the text. But I, I really do think that what makes this difficult, as as opposed to say like Leviticus, where you have all of these you know hypothetical situations and trying to figure out law and you know what you're supposed to do in any given situation, that's all kind of detached, and we can understand and apply that in a in a in a very clear way. But when it comes to something like these uh, proclamations against the nations, this I think is a little more difficult for us because we have to wrestle with. The fact that God is, you know, bringing to us a good word through a very difficult text. 
I mean, it's kind of like how we always have trouble with some of the Psalms and the imprecatory Psalms. You know, how can the cursing Psalms be, you know, good for us? How do we apply that? So it's, it's really is this, you know, when dealing with God's judgment that I think is the more difficult one for us as Christians to apply sometimes. All right, and I'm sure that that will come out in our conversation concerning the text. In in terms of introduction for for this particular chapter, and really the next two, we're going to be dealing with Tyre as a nation. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, in chapter 25, we had Ammon, Moab, Edom, and Philistia all in one chapter, and now suddenly the prophet's going to spend three chapters on the nation of Tyre, First of all, just tell us a little bit about Tyre. What's some of the the background that we know scripturally, historically, that's mm-hmm. going to be important as we begin chapter 26 today? Okay. Uh, Tyre is a city on the coast of the Mediterranean. It would have been generally to the north of you know where Jerusalem and Israel is in general. Uh, even today, I mean, Tyre as a, as a city still exists. I mean, it's changed a lot since the biblical times. But it's, it's right there along the coast. But in biblical times, um, it was always a city of great power because it was an economic powerhouse. Um, Tyre is one of the key cities, one of the original um, cities of what was called the, the Phoenician nation. And they were known as the seafarers. They were known as great traders. Uh, traders as in like, you know, trading goods back and forth throughout all, you know, doing business with all kinds of different nations. And their influence is going to be so great that, uh, you know, they will settle all along the Mediterranean and uh, form other nations. You know, ones like Carthage are very closely related to the the Tyrians because they're a Phoenician colony. So you have this nation, which is, you know, a very economic powerhouse uh, ruling up, you know, in this part of of that of the world at that time. And at least previously, and I think we should talk about this at least a little bit, previously, um, Tyre had a very good relationship with Israel, right? Because we know that uh, Hiram, who was one of the kings of Tyre, uh, back in the book of like 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, um, he helped Solomon to build the first temple. He gave him goods. He helped him cut the timber for it. You know, they made all kinds of deals. So Tyre used to be on very good terms with Israel and in the past. But now at this point, when we get to the book of Ezekiel, much, much later, of course, Ezekiel is living in the exile. uh, Tyre has turned back against Israel and has betrayed her. And I think that's why we see Ezekiel spending so much time on Tyre as he does. Do do, Do we want to add more to that or what do we want to do? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it is it is interesting when we think about the the nations that have come before. The first three, Ammon, Moab, Edom, they're all related to Israel in one right. way or another. They've they've got the the bond of family with those three. The Philistines that come after them don't have that bond of family, but we know them well from the rest of Scripture. And they're, I mean, I don't know that I can think of a positive reference to the Philistines in the scriptures. If you, if you can correct me, but I, I, they, they always, in my mind, stand out as when I hear Philistines, I think enemies of God's people. Sure. So then go ahead. I was say the only, the only time I think it's, you know, even remotely positive is when David is hiding from Saul in Philistia, but even then it's not totally positive either. So, (laughs) but that's, that's neither here nor there. 
Right. So so we've got those four that come first, and then all of a sudden, here comes Tyre, and he spends three whole chapters on Tyre. And in, in terms of the rest of the Old Testament, yeah, there are these times where Tyre plays a role, but it's it's never as big, it seems, as these other nations that we've read about, and it's a positive role. And suddenly, here comes Tyre, and they're going to get three whole chapters of Ezekiel preaching against them, God's judgment, and spoken in a variety of ways, as we'll see over the next studies. And it, it is, it's striking. One of the, one of the things that I, I read about Tyre that, that suggested perhaps one of the reasons that Ezekiel spends so long on them as compared to some others, and it, it goes along with what's said about Egypt as well, because Egypt is going to get even more than Tyre, as we will see when we get to that section in Ezekiel. And that those two nations at this time, of the ones that are mentioned here, have the the best shot at standing against Babylon. And and right now, Babylon is being used by the Lord as his agent to deliver his justice. And so uh, perhaps that's one reason why both Tyre and Egypt receive extra attention from Ezekiel as those who, and we'll talk about this when we, when we get to some of the history of, of what happens here, those are the ones that end up standing the longest against Babylon, and so Ezekiel spends a longer amount of time speaking against them in terms of the way that they're going to receive the, the judgment from the Lord. That was another suggestion that I had seen. That, that could very well be. I mean, the fact that they are you know, military powers. I mean, Tyre, you know, even though they are economic traders, um, they are very strong militarily. In fact, we know historically, and we also know from a little bit later in Ezekiel, that Tyre uh, withstands the assaults of Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. So yeah, they certainly have uh, the ability to, you know, survive the onslaught. Um, but at the same time, I, I really do think that what's happening with Tyre in particular, not so much with Egypt, but with Tyre, is that because there was that former goodwill and Tyre has you know, betrayed them and is taking advantage of Jerusalem in her weakness, I really do think this is the Lord coming at, you know, coming at Tyre and saying, well, you're going to get a, a greater judgment as a result. Well, let's, let's start into the text then and see what the Lord has to say against Tyre. So again, we're in Ezekiel 26 this morning. In the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you, as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword then you will know that I am the Lord. And that takes us through verse 6. I'll pause there. Pastor Heidi, in terms of the dating, we didn't get a, a date for chapter 25 when those oracles were given to Ezekiel. But here in chapter 26, it's said to happen in the 11th year, the first day of the month. When When is that? 
Well, I suppose that's the debate, right? Because is Ezekiel talking about the eleventh year of being in exile? You know, when when is when is this prophecy happening? I tend to think that he's saying the eleventh year, perhaps, of his ministry. That you know, when he begins to have these visions. Um, do you have a specific date for this this prophecy? I'm drawing a blank here. So the the Lutheran Study Bible suggests 587, so right okay. around the fall of Jerusalem. Okay. And I think, so that would be the 11th year from when Ezekiel was exiled, not the 11th year of his ministry. But that's, oh. I mean, it because his he began his ministry five years into his exile, okay. as we learn in the, the beginning. So yeah, but that's that's the suggestion of the Lutheran Study Bible. So this would, if, if that is the case, 587, that puts it right around the fall of Jerusalem. Sure. Yeah. And like I said, I, I know that there are debates exactly what he right. means by this, so... But I'm willing to go with that. That sounds good. Okay, to me. so fair enough. <laughs> so, Pastor Heidi, the first thing that Ezekiel is given is what Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, and the English Standard Version translates it like this: "Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken; it is swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste." And and that's going to be the reason that the Lord's going to bring His judgment upon Tyre. So, what's the what's the gist of what Tyre is saying about Jerusalem here? Well, it, it really is an opportunistic kind of thing, and I think this is maybe playing into her character as a very commercial kind of nation. She's taking advantage of the people because she says, well, the, the gate is, is, bu- is busted down, you know, the, the city has been overrun, now I have the opportunity to take something for myself and to basically take away the treasures of Jerusalem, that, you know, I want what they have, and now I have the opportunity opportunity to do it, which is perhaps, again, a little bit uh, expressive of the of the betrayal which they have, because it was Tyre which gave gifts to Jerusalem in the days of Hiram and, Sol- you know, and Solomon in order to build the temple, and now Tyre, in her betrayal, in her treachery, is going to s- steal them back. At least she thinks she's going to steal them back. And so, yeah, it is this betrayal that is the, the key of what's happening in verse 2. And it is it is spoken like someone who is an economic powerhouse. I see my neighbors destroyed, and rather than mourning over that, and, and I think this it does connect to some of the the oracles that we saw yesterday with the Ammonites and Moabites, where there you know there was a sense of mockery over mm-hmm. what was happening, and and maybe some some jealousy of of the status that Israel had beforehand, and now hi you're getting yours too. Here it's it's more yeah let's let's take advantage of this, and I think I mean we we should make this point. This is more than a sin of economics. This is a, a theological sin. This is a sin because of what Jerusalem is and the the status that God had granted it. What God had said about this place. This is more theological than economic. I think. No, I absolutely because this is God's city. There is a greater sin here. But I, I, I mean, this is also a, just an economic sin in general, because um, like Amos, you know, talk, speaking against the nations and speaking against their, you know, abusing people. And, you know, it, the fact that they are stealing from their neighbors in this way is bad enough in itself. The fact that they are stealing from God's people and from the city which he has set his, you know, promise on makes it worse still. So it's kind of a both and. Yeah. So the the Lord sets this statement from Tyre up as the reason. In verse 3, you get, therefore, thus says the Lord God. 
He's against the city of Tyre, and we begin to get a picture of the destruction. And it, it sounds pretty fitting the way that the Lord predicts the destruction of Tyre, given its geographical setting. What do we what do we right. get in those verses about the destruction of Tyre? Right. Well, we should say in passing, at least, that in at this time, although it's no longer true, but at this time, uh, the main fortress, the main citadel of Tyre was an island. Okay. And so the, the language of the sea bringing up its waves, you know, the scraping the soil for her, making her a bare rock. She'll be in the midst of the sea as a place for spreading of nets. This is all speaking of her geographical situation because she sees herself as being an impregnable uh, island, you know, this, this island fortress, even though there is part of the city on the mainland as well. And we're going to see that in a little bit. Um, the Lord is basically making the, the judgment fit Tyre. And you're going to destroy the walls of Tyre to break down her towers, basically to make her no longer an island, which is a fortress, but to be, you know, nothing, to become nothing whatsoever, right? Is it the picture that uh, of Tyre as an island fortress at this time something like, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to put this in a, a way that maybe we can get a picture in our own mind, something like the, the island of Alcatraz, and, and I know that was intended sure. to keep people in well right. i suppose to keep people out too but that sort of the idea is when you hear the city tire kind of like when you hear the city or the name alcatraz you think of an impregnable fortress correct yeah or i mean or like i think isn't malta an island if i remember correctly too you know this this idea that it's the whole island and it's not a very it wasn't a very big island at that time the whole island was the fortress and so it made it very very difficult for anyone to try to conquer the city and in fact, as we're going to find out later, when it was finally conquered, it was only with a great deal of effort, you know, basically turning it into a peninsula as it is today, rather than leaving it as an island. So, In some of the images that Ezekiel brings up in this section, for example, making her a bare rock or mm -hmm. the, where, where did it, the spreading, it's going to become a place for the spreading of nets. What's being conveyed by some of that imagery? Well, it's, he's basically saying that it's going to turn into basically like a, a rock out in the middle of the sea where there's nobody living on it. It's just a, a bare island. And the only reason why anyone will come to you, he's saying, is when a fisherman has to stop and dry out his nets so that they can be repaired. <laughs> so it's a, a total, total destruction. This is not going to be a place where people are going to live, certainly not a place people are going to defend. It's just going to kind of be there. If you have to stop there and dry your nets off, great, but that's the only good that Tyre is going to be. And then, of course, you know, I have spoken, declares the Lord. This is a, a certain thing, it sounds like. Now, you mentioned earlier that there, you know, at this time, you've got Tyre as a, an island, but there are cities also on the mainland. Is that the is that the daughters that are referred to in verse 6? Yes, I believe so. Uh, daughters being uh, metaphorical for her daughter cities or, you know, kind of the daughter areas connected to this city. Um, and there is a certain, a, a fairly large amount of the population of the city itself that live right on the mainland next to the island. I mean, it wasn't very far out. And so um, when Nebuchadnezzar comes, as we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, uh, most of what he's going to be assaulting is that mainland portion, um, the daughters who live on the mainland. Okay, so almost like a colonies of sorts. That's that's what's happening there on the mainland. All part of Tyre under their their control. Uh, perhaps something like oh, I don't. 
like I'm thinking about maybe New Orleans and, and how there are various parts of New Orleans and, and I'm, forgive my geography if you live in New Orleans and I'm, I'm incorrect <laughs> about this, but there, there are various parts of New Orleans or maybe the Florida Keys, something like that, where it's a, a one community and yet there are various parts. The daughters are the parts on the mainland and Tyre, the island, is the, the big, big fortress that right. is, is thought to be unassailable. Or you could think of like Istanbul in modern times, um, you know, formerly Constantinople. The city of, of Istanbul now is spread out across the uh, the Bosphorus Strait on both sides of the strait. Yeah. So, you know, it's one city, but there's a, a giant water <laughs> uh, strait going through it. So that that's the kind of image that we should be looking at here. Okay. And, and the Lord is saying it's going to be destroyed. And, and yes. that's what, what he said so far through verse 6. Let's keep reading a little bit. We're, we're now picking up in verse 7 of Ezekiel 26. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots and with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. He will kill with the sword your daughters on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you and raise a roof of shields against you. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hoofs of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. Your stones and timber and soil they will cast into the midst of the waters. And I will stop the music of your songs, and the sound of your lyres shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You shall be a place for the spreading of nets. You shall never be rebuilt, for I am the Lord. I have spoken, declares the Lord God. That takes us through verse 14 of the text. Pastor Heidi, one of the things that stands out in this section is that the Lord names the agent of his destruction. He says that from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is going to come. And, and what's striking to me, before we, I mean, maybe before we talk too much about the, the history of what happens, is the fact that Nebuchadnezzar gets called king of kings here. That that's not a title that I generally associate with Nebuchadnezzar. I think Jesus, <laughs> King of Kings. Right. Nebuchadnezzar's called King of Kings here. Right, right. Well, and because the, the Babylonians and the Assyrians also very frequently named their monarchs this, you know, they called them King of Kings Lord of, and Lord of Lords. Uh, so it, it does have a secular title uh, that may be at play here. It could also be um, the Lord's way of saying, in this case, that Nebuchadnezzar is being lifted up to become the one who conquers other kings, you know, that he is the king of other kings sort of thing. He is the one who's going to be victorious. And that is something that would certainly apply to Jesus, because when he is called like the king of kings in the book of Revelation, it is because he is the one who has been sent forth to conquer. So this imagery of being the, the king of kings, the one who rules, is also the one who puts underfoot. He is the, the victorious one, the conquering hero the one who goes forth in order to make war. I think that's kind of the, the idea that's going on here. Well, and I, certainly that fits the context. And I, I do think it is, it's a reminder that of the Lord, because, because it is the Lord who calls him King of Kings, 
just within that very fact is a reminder that who really is the king of kings? Who is the one who is directing these events of history, who directs Nebuchadnezzar against Tyre? It is ultimately the Lord, which, and I mean, of course, when you think about, you know, the various times this happens within biblical history, particularly, the, the downfall of these kings is when they take this title to heart in the wrong way. When, when Nebuchadnezzar sure. thinks that he really is king of kings over the Lord, or when you know the nation of Assyria has this problem, it, it happens throughout history. When when they forget that if if I do happen to be in this political power that Nebuchadnezzar did enjoy, it wasn't because of anything inherent in Nebuchadnezzar, but it is a, a reminder of the Lord being the one to direct history, even in surprising ways by doing it through a pagan king like Nebuchadnezzar. So you're saying that the the Lord is the king of the king of kings? Is that what you're I trying am. to tell me? <laughs> yes. How many how many kings do it? Yeah, the king of the king of kings. That's that's the Lord. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 a point well made because we have to remember that if the Lord calls him the king of kings, he has been made that is not because he is inherently the king of kings, even if as we learn in the book of Daniel that he certainly thinks that he is. The Lord humbles him in that place so that he remembers that he is but a man and the one to whom he, you know, one who must answer to the Lord as well. Right. And so seeing that title here is a reminder of that. And we are going to see what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to Tyre. But we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel chapter 26 with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. We're going to take that short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, October 22nd. We're studying Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 1 to 21 with Pastor Zelvin Heidi. He's the pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we had introduced Nebuchadnezzar, who perhaps surprisingly is called King of Kings, the one the Lord sets over this time in order to execute his judgment. And here it's going to happen to Tyre. And, and Tyre, as we've been saying, is a, I mean, it's unassailable, they think. It's out there on an island. How are you going to attack it? The Lord says Nebuchadnezzar is going to do it. He gives all kinds of details here, ways that things might happen. What what happens, Pastor Heidi? Well, I mean, the, the description here is a pretty, I guess you would say a pretty standard one of siege warfare. You know, you have the uh, the siege wall being set up and throwing up a mound, you know, make, basically making a giant uh, heap of dirt so that you could actually uh, attack the city. And I think what is happening here is a very clear description 
of when Nebuchadnezzar does come and lay siege to the city. Uh, we learn for in other in other places which he did so for thirteen years um, that he is seeking to conquer especially the the mainland of uh, the coastlands of Tyre, and that's something that he is successful in doing. In fact, he does uh, eventually subjugate the city, and they do fall under his authority. So we do have the imagery of warfare, the imagery of sieges and uh, basically a, a bringing about of the judgment of Tyre in this way. So Nebuchadnezzar is successful over those 13 years of taking care of the mainland. Correct. But what about what about that island fortress? Yeah, and that's, that's where the difficulty of this chapter comes in, because the island fortress uh, was not conquered in this way. Now, like I said, Nebuchadnezzar does gain kind of authority over the city of Tyre, and so they're not really resisting him. But the the actual island fortress itself, he was not able to overcome until, you know, we're, again, we learn from history. In fact, it wasn't until much, much later, um, until the days of Alexander the Great in the 330s BC, uh, when it was Alexander who actually made the causeway out to the island fortress and finally completely and utterly destroyed it and turned it into the peninsula that it is today. So we have the uh, the difficulty of um, Nebuchadnezzar partially conquering the city, but the, the true destruction of the city, the true destruction of the fortress coming, what, almost 300 years later, Right. So there's the difficulty, Pastor. This is one of those places where perhaps someone <laughs> comes up to you and challenges you. Pastor, right. look, Ezekiel's wrong. Or or is he? Well, I'm not going to say he's wrong. Good, me neither. <laughs> but even, and I do want to point this out before we get too far into this discussion, even in chapter 29 of Ezekiel, um, we see in verses 17 and going forward, that uh, he says that Nebuchadnezzar labored hard against Tyre, and yet it didn't pay. You know, the, the labor didn't pay. He had a very difficult time in the process. And as a result, the Lord says, I will give him Egypt as payment for his army. You know, I'm going to compensate him for all the hard work that he did in overcoming Tyre over those 13 years. But ironically, conquering Tyre, the, the mercantile city, didn't actually pay all that well. Hmm. Um. So there is, even in the book of Ezekiel, a recognition that um, things have not yet fully come to pass, if that makes sense. Right. I mean, so that and that that's a very helpful cross-reference to be aware that in Ezekiel 29, again, that's verses 17 through 20, the prophet there says that Nebuchadnezzar's campaign against Tyre wasn't as completely successful at least as the way you might read these verses, that when mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar went against Tyre, Ezekiel was quite aware that this didn't all happen right then and there to the island fortress itself, that Nebuchadnezzar did subdue it, that he had control of the mainland, but the actual destruction of the, the fortress itself didn't happen. Ezekiel knew that was going to happen. He was, that word of God came to him. And so, I mean, that's that's an important point, so that we don't say Ezekiel was wrong, or there's some sort of discrepancy there within the sacred scriptures. That's not the case. So, but but Pastor Heidi, there still maybe is a little bit of difficulty with that. I mean, if if that is the case, then why this language here in mm -hmm. Ezekiel 26? Well, 
I think this is one of the things that we struggle with with prophecy in general, um, because very, I think for a couple of reasons. And first reason is because um, we know from other prophecies, especially in the major prophets, that when the prophets talk about something happening, um, they very often kind of see everything happening all at once, even if we know that they happened quite a ways apart from each other. And kind of the, the classical example, example I can think of this is uh, Isaiah 7, when we're talking about the coming of Emmanuel. He's talking to Ahaz, who is worried about uh, a, a military alliance against him between the uh, Syrian kingdom and between the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Lord says, I will give you Emmanuel as the sign that I'm going to overcome these nations. But you have to remember that Ahaz and the birth of Christ are what, like, 700 years apart, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, so there's this very long kind of drawn out sort of thing where the prophets see everything happening all at the same time and kind of talk about them happening all at the same time, even if it takes a while for them to be fully fulfilled. That doesn't mean that it was wrong. It just means that, you know, you're kind of looking down the line, sort of, so to speak. And, you know, and if you have things lined up right next to each other, they look sometimes appear from our perspective, to be closer than maybe they really are. That doesn't mean that God is, is false in telling us these things. It just means that he works in his own good time. Yeah, the, the classic image that I've, I've heard in terms of how you might think about this is when you're driving toward a mountain range, mm -hmm. and from a distance, all the mountains appear to be exactly the same distance from you. But mm -hmm. when you get closer to them, you can see, oh no, there's actually quite a bit of distance between those two. And the way that the prophets were given the word of the Lord was was like that. That when, you know, for example, when Ezekiel sees the destruction of Tyre, he's seeing it all happening at once. And historically, it does happen over the course of, of this time where Nebuchadnezzar is greatly involved in it. But that final destruction of the island nation doesn't happen until Alexander the Great comes along. I think a, right. a, maybe another example would be in in 2 Samuel 7, where the Lord makes that promise to David about his son sitting on the throne forever. And you're thinking, is this about Solomon or is this about Jesus? And and there, I mean, you know, there's, there's parts where certainly, you know, there's reference to Solomon, but where's the final fulfillment? It's, it's in Jesus. And so I think, I mean, that's maybe another example of that sort of prophetic seeing that, that we're seeing here in Ezekiel 26. Any, any other, I mean, I think those are all very helpful ways of, of thinking about this. Uh, I'm going to put air quotes around it that no one can see issue in Ezekiel 26. And any other ways that, you know, someone comes and say, Hey, look, your Bible's got problems with it that we might respond in this case. Well, and the other one that I think would be very helpful is to recognize that when it comes to prophecies, there's always a certain amount of, I don't know the best word to put this, but let's just say there's always a condition that is, especially with prophecies of judgment. And this is the, the, the most classic example of this, of course, is the book of Jonah, right? The Lord says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then Nineveh repents, you know, something changes, and the promised destruction does not come to pass. Does that mean that God lied? Of course not. There was always that implied condition that if Nineveh repented of their sins, then this judgment would not come to pass. So when we have a prophecy like this, especially with judgment, there is sometimes attached to it a certain amount of, I, I, it's, 
it's hard to explain sometimes, but you know, we have to remember the the human side of this too. You know that that man it can repent in in the case of Nineveh, and God would relent of his disaster. You know, he is not willing to destroy the ungodly; he wants them to come to repentance. And yet, when it comes to something like with Tyre here too, I think we should recognize that Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he is God's agent. He's doing what God wants him to do. And yet he is not the final fulfillment of that. So, you know, there is this kind of if that we're not really given explicitly um, in here in Ezekiel. But yeah, right. so when it comes to prophecy in that way, we have to remember that, yes, things can and sometimes do change. Right, because the, the purpose of the Lord announcing it ahead of time isn't what well, he I mean he's got a purpose in announcing it ahead of time and his right. purpose is so that the people who hear this message of judgment will repent of their sins so that he then would relent of the judgment that he spoke in the first place and right. so yeah I mean I think the example of the city of Nineveh from the preaching of Jonah is one of the best examples because that's precisely what happens the lord sent Jonah to announce judgment for the purpose of Nineveh repenting for the purpose of the lord then taking the judgment back. And it's not that he lied, but he actually just worked through the whole the whole process. And it's it's quite ironic, interesting, I'm not sure what the right adjective is, that Jonah knows that going in, right. which is why he doesn't want to go. But that's a that's for the study of Jonah whenever we get to that. So so but that I think that's also a helpful reminder here in Ezekiel 26 when it comes to this judgment against Tyre. The same thing can be in mind when we think about the way that the destruction of Tyre actually plays out, both under Nebuchadnezzar in the mainland and then Alexander the Great with the island fortress in the 300s uh, BC. Any anything else on, on either that topic or or this particular section? There's a there's a lot there that we could talk about, Pastor Heidi. Uh, before we move on, <laughs> well, we should probably get to the rest of it, but uh, maybe the uh, one other example I'll give just as another, just to kind of really drive this point home. Uh, when we have the promise, you know, it's not always about judgment, because when we have the promise of the son to sit on the throne of David, you know, there's immediately an if that is attached to it. You will have this son if they follow in my way. You know, and he's talking about the immediate descendants of David. And as we learn from the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, you know, they were not faithful. And as a result, the the line of David, at least that immediate line, um, appeared to come to an end so that there was not a king, you know, literally sitting on a throne. Now, of course, the full fulfillment of that prophecy came to pass in Jesus. But there was kind of in the meantime, you know, you will have, you know, a literal descendant on your literal throne for this, you know, in the time being, if they are faithful to me in following after my commandments. So again, there's always that's there's that if that's attached to the prophecy of God. Well, and, and just to, to try to connect that to Ezekiel 26, even, mm-hmm. even in this case, when it comes to the destruction of Tyre, uh, thinking about the ultimate fulfillment that comes in Jesus, would, would a text like this then, again, not just be about the destruction that happens to Tyre in a specific time and place, but also be pointing forward to, to the final judgment the, that comes in Christ? I mean, is that also part of this prophetic seeing, looking all the way even to the final judgment? Sure, I could see that. And I think especially because, uh, you know, how we've talked about how the, the judgment is tailored to Tyre, you know, it's kind of fitting her exact situation. It fits her exact sins. 
because, you know, the spreading of nets and all that sort of thing. You know, you think of like in the passage in Revelation where it says that, you know, when the, the, the rivers become blood and an angel cries out and say, it is fitting, O Lord, because they have drunk the blood of saints. It's what they deserve. You know, this this is an image that when God comes to judge the world, he's not just going to do it in a generic way. And, you know, just kind of, well, we're going to set everything right in a kind of a generic way. He's actually going to pay them back for the sins, for the exact sins which they did against God's people. It will be a, a fitting judgment on that day. And we see a, a type of that in the judgment of Tyre. Anything more on, on these verses through 14 before uh, we pick up the rest of the text? We better get to the end. So All right. So we're in Ezekiel 26, and we're picking up now at verse 15. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst? Then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones and remove their robes and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled at you. And they will raise a lamentation over you and say, How you have perished, you who were inhabited from the seas, O city renowned, who was mighty on the sea. She and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall, and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you to dwell in the world below, among ruins from of old, with those who go down to the pit, so that you will not be inhabited, but I will set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. That is the end of our section for today. That was Ezekiel 26, verses 15 through 21. So, Pastor Heidi, moving into this section of, of the word of the Lord to Tyre, we get the coastlands shaking, wounded, grown. Take take us into those first couple of verses. Sure. Uh, the coastlands here, again, is probably referring to her her daughter colonies spread throughout the Mediterranean. You know, the, the fact that the, the, mother, the mother city has collapsed, that they have been destroyed, would be a case when they would, you know, mourn. Because, you know, if we... We lost our capital city, for example, you know, we would feel it even if we don't live anywhere near it, right? Because it would be a time of great, a great turmoil for us. And so the Lord is saying that when you fall, your, your daughters, so to speak, your, your coastal cities will shake and they will be mourning over it and raise a lamentation over you. So the, the coastlands, the daughter cities, these colonies, they're going to groan because of the destruction of Tyre. What about these princes of the sea who it sounds like they're going into mourning? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and the princes of the sea, you know, the probably the, the other leaders of the colonies, those who are connected to the king of Tyre, those who are set under him, who are ruling over these colonies. You know, again, their king is gone. This is a time of great mourning, a time when their nation has been thrown into confusion, and they're just not really sure what to do. 
other than lament. In, in verse 17, it says, they will raise a lamentation over you, they'll say, and then we get the, the text of the lament that they're going to, to sing, how you have perished. Take us into to what this lamentation is sung by all these, these people mourning over the death of Tyre. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, I think, because, you know, you perished, you know, you were a renowned city, mighty on the seas, you know, the parallelism of, of Hebrew poetry here, you know, you and your inhabitants imposed terror on all, on all the other inhabitants. And so with the, the passing here, we have a terror throughout, you know, the other colonies throughout the seas, because now the one who seemed to be so strong, the one who seemed to be too big to fail, to use language that we sometimes use, um, has now failed. You know, it has come to nothing, and the Lord has laid it waste. And so this is a time of great mourning for the coastlands and for those with whom she has been doing business. Um, and I, I, this is probably getting a little far afield, but I can't help but notice the, the parallels, or at least some echoes, of language that you're going to hear about Babylon and also, ultimately, a language that you will hear in the book of Revelation itself uh, in chapter 18 with the lament over the spiritual city of Babylon. You know, the, the one who has fallen, the merchants are, are crying over her, her fall. All these things have been laid waste in a moment. You know, the, the fact that this is, is connected to this shows this lamentation of a worldly sense over the the worldly fall of of Israel of Israel's enemies. I I definitely do think you're right about the echoes here that we hear in Revelation 18, and it it's striking that you you get those echoes here in Tyre. Pastor Linnell pointed out, and it is kind of striking in this section of Ezekiel. There is no judgment on Babylon given mm-hmm. in Ezekiel. And yet there are a lot of the parallels, particularly in this section of Tyre, that do show up in the way that, quote, the city of Babylon, the that spiritual city of against God that is is brought up. And so, I, yeah, I, I think that's that's a, an important parallel to draw. And these last couple of verses, verses 19 through 21, I mean, the, the judgment there that's spoken against Tyre, this is, and now granted, there's more coming in terms of what he's going to say, but for our purposes, this is kind of the bitter end, and it's it's not a pretty picture for the city of Tyre by the end of this oracle. Right. I mean, because basically they're just going to be swept up and brought down to Sheol, right? I mean, that's that's the language of the pit to the people of old, to those who are dead, in other words, and they will become, you'll become like dwelling in the land of Sheol. So it is, it is a dreadful end that you are not going to be found because you are no longer going to be in the land of the living. In that sense, you could almost say this is a, a, a slight parallel to uh, like um, Korah's rebellion in the wilderness when he was swallowed up alive in, and sent down into Sheol. It is that kind of a dreadful judgment which is placed upon Tyre all because of her treachery, you know, it, of, of against Israel as when she, when before she had been a friend. Now, Pastor Heidi, with about six minutes left, we we have this time, I think, to return to that opening question that we posed and the the difficulty of a text like this, which has been a judgment, judgment against granted a very particular city, Tyre, mm-hmm. but judgment nonetheless that that is difficult to read. You know, it's hard to, to imagine all this coming from the hand of God. And you you brought this up at the beginning, and I think this is a good time to return to it and, and kind of help us wrap this this study up, is that there is good news 
in the judgment of God. So mm-hmm. again, help us to to use that thought, to help us to see that thought in this text, and to to really you know maybe rejoice in what something what seems like something we maybe shouldn't be rejoicing. How does a text like this bring us that? Are you sure you don't make me you know come back for these passages just for this I question? Might. Yes, <laughs> I feel like I've talked about this several times, but it's always good. Um, it is good news for us. And the reason why we have to think of it in terms of good news is because it is a judgment against those who have hurt God's people. And the reason why that's good news for us is it shows that God is not, you know, absent. God is not just off somewhere ignoring uh, the cries of his people. God is not just, you know, unconcerned about what's happening or it's not that he's even just going to let them get away with it like the only the only purpose of the the last day is just to finally get us out of this mess and to just kind of leave it behind that wouldn't be very just for him to do that to just kind of leave that sin untaken care of god has to do something about the sins against his people And when he comes to judge the world in righteousness, yes, he's going to condemn sin. Yes, he's going to finally do away with sin. But he's also going to take care of that sin that has been done against us. And when we see God's hand in that judgment, then we will rejoice in that day because we know that he wasn't ignoring us, that he didn't just let these things happen. He's going to do something about it. And that's why it is such good news for us. You know, I, I don't think that you're getting these texts on purpose. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> but perhaps, perhaps the fact that you have gotten several of these texts is is maybe just an indication that texts like this show up in the Old Testament more often than than we realize, that, that the matter of God's judgment against the nations— and certainly his judgment against Judah. You know, I mean, we, we shouldn't forget that. His judgment against his own people. Right. He's been talking about that for 24 chapters in Ezekiel. And it's only now that he's talking about the foreign nations. So the, the judgment goes, you know, it goes for everybody. So I think Dr. Hummel in his commentary thinks about the book of Ezekiel similar to the, to the book of Romans and the way that Paul lays out, okay, there's judgment for Jews and Gentiles both. And then there's the gospel for everybody as well. And Ezekiel kind of works like that as well. You've got the judgment against God's people. You've got judgment against the Gentiles and then restoration. And I mean, so, you know, so maybe, maybe the fact that you seem to keep getting this same theme come up again and again, isn't a sign that you're being picked on, <laughs> but, but perhaps it's a reminder that these, this theme is, it's important in the Old Testament that God is going to bring justice upon his enemies. And, and in that, I do think it, it's a, that does call us to examine our own hearts and, and to see, okay, am, am I setting myself as an enemy of God? Am I, am I living there in the city of Tyre, participating in their sins? Or, I mean, go through any of the foreign nations we've talked about in chapter 25. Look at your own heart. It's, it's not a matter of sitting there and gloating over these nations, but rather, you know, a boasting in what God has done and the, the joy that we have being a part of his people letting him be the one to take the vengeance on our behalf and, and then giving us the salvation. we got about two minutes here for final thoughts, Pastor Heidi, to help us wrap things up. Ezekiel 26, it's all about Tyre. How does it point us to Christ? Well, maybe just as one final thought on what you were just talking about, um, 
if someone, for example, sinned against us and they, you know, like, let's say they committed a crime against us, especially a heinous crime, and then they walked free, there was no judgment against them. We would feel like something went wrong. And for good reason, because something has gone wrong. There is not justice for that situation. But yet God is going to give us justice when he brings judgment upon the nations because, you know, he has set his son, Jesus Christ, to judge the world. And when he comes to judge the world, you know, I've just been preaching on Malachi, you know, he will be like the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings, a fire which will burn up all of the wickedness in the world. And yet when we when we see that happen, we will rejoice like calves leaping from the stall, to use the language of Malachi again, because it will be a day of great joy for God's people. Jesus is coming again to judge the world, and that's good news for his people. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi is pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 1 to 21. Pastor Heidi, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.